Hello, I'm Melvin from Cultivate Young Adults Ministry, and today's Bible reading comes from Luke chapter 7, verse 1 to 17. After he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore I do not presume to come to you, but say the word, and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turning to the crowd that followed him, said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. Soon afterwards, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her, and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bier, and the bearer stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, The great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. This is God's word. Great to be with you all again. Uh, my name's Devin. Um, I'm one of the pastors here at Cross Culture. Um, I'm really excited to be back um, in the book of Luke with you all again. Uh, Luke's an amazing book because uh, it centers on the person and work of Jesus. And it's there to give us uh, certainty about who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Um, so as a church, um, you'll see that our vision is really built around this as well, um, knowing Christ, growing in Christ, proclaiming Christ. And so as we um, track through the book of Luke over the next few weeks, um, for some of you, um, this might be the first time that you actually encounter Jesus for who he is and you come to know him. Um, for others, this might be a great opportunity to grow more like Jesus and to imitate him this year. Uh, and for others, again, this series might um, provoke in you and, and really instill in you the beauty and the value of Christ. Uh, so that you would proclaim him to the world. Um, so if you have your Bibles, keep them open to Luke chapter 7, um, and we'll pray. Heavenly Father, give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear, give us humble hearts to receive your word. Um, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, please minister to us and our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen. I wonder how many times in your life that you've prayed to God for healing. Perhaps so many times 
you can't even remember. As a pastor, the most common prayer request I get is prayers for healing, uh, physical, mental, emotional healing. Um, even some of my friends who aren't Christians, it, sometimes they even ask me uh, for prayer for healing. At some level, we all constantly desire healing for the small things and the big things. Um, so a few weeks ago when I got COVID, um, I lost my taste and smell for nearly a week. And what I realized through that time is that my happiness is connected to my enjoyment of food. Uh, very much. Um, and without my taste, I didn't feel like eating much. Even nice food that got cooked for me didn't really excite me. Um, it was wasted on me. Even the dessert that I used to love just tasted a bit bland. And so what did I do? I prayed. God, heal me. Let me taste again so life has joy and meaning once more. So we pray for healing in the small things, but also in the big things. Um, if, if you or a loved one has suffered from chronic physical or mental illness, you will know the struggle and the longing for healing. Um, whether it's seeking healing from cancer that seems to be progressing, uh, whether it's seeking healing from depression or anxiety that hangs over your head, maybe healing from trauma that you've experienced in your past and doesn't seem to go away. Perhaps you've lived with these things for many years and you're constantly, you're praying and pleading for healing. And sometimes when we come across passages like this in the Bible, it can be hard for us to hear. Because in this passage, healing just seems to come so easy, right? Uh, Jesus seems to go around healing a few people and they live out happily ever after. And you may ask yourself, what about me? What about me who's laboured in prayer for 10 years? Why haven't I experienced healing? What about me who's been praying day in and day out for the health of a loved one and things don't get better, they only seem to get worse. If healing is a reality for all these people in the Bible, what about me? Maybe you've stopped praying because you feel it doesn't seem to do anything. You know, sometimes we can lose confidence in Jesus' ability to heal, and, and not just His ability to heal, but His desire to heal. Not just can He do it, does He want to? And that's what we're going to look at today. Because in these two healings that we've just read, we'll see that Jesus is doing much more than just healing two people and they live happily ever after. Know what Jesus is doing in these two healings is just as significant for us as it was for them. So firstly, can he do it? Can Jesus heal? Um, as, as we go on here, Jesus has just finished teaching his disciples about the kingdom of God, what it's like to live in God's family. And now as he enters Capernaum, a village in Israel, we're introduced to a centurion. Centurion's a Roman soldier. They were powerful and wealthy people in the ancient world. And as their name suggests, they were in charge of about 100 men. 
And this centurion has a servant here who he really valued, who was sick and at the point of death. And even though this centurion is rich and powerful, sometimes all the money in the world doesn't help. You know, often through sickness, um, if you've experienced this, what gives us hope is there's always another option for treatment. Uh, So when my dad was battling cancer himself, what gave us hope was that even if the chemotherapy didn't work, well then they're always developing new cancer treatments and drugs all the time. And maybe if those cancer drugs don't work, well then there's radiation therapy. But what happens when none of these work? What happens when we are out of options? It's really difficult to hear the phrase palliative care. Um, Palliative care is when there's no longer any medical treatment available to heal, uh, but the condition is now so advanced that all we can do for you is make them as comfortable as possible. It's painful news to receive. And that's the point we're at here with the centurion servant. Verse 2 says he's right at the point of death. So where money can't help, where medicine can't help, the centurion turns to Jesus. Now remember here, the centurion is not a Jew. He's not traditionally considered one of God's people. But he's heard of Jesus. He's heard of the healings. He's heard of the miracles. He knows that Jesus can help in this helpless situation. It's ironic. Even though the centurion is rich and powerful, he is absolutely powerless to help his servant. So he asks the Jewish elders to approach Jesus on his behalf. And now in verse 4, these Jewish elders plead with Jesus for help. Look at what they say. They plead with Jesus earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he's the one who built our synagogue. These elders plead for Jesus to heal on the basis of the centurion's worthiness. He deserves it. He he loves our nation. He built our synagogue. In other words, Jesus, you owe it to this man to heal. In all fairness, the centurion does seem like a good guy. He probably allowed the Jews to continue practicing their faith. He, he may have contributed money to the building of the synagogue. He respects Israel. But look at the paradigm these elders work from. They say the centurion is worthy of Jesus to heal his servant. They look at all the good things this centurion has done and they appeal to Jesus on that basis. They operate from a works-based paradigm. We can develop uh, this attitude too. We'd never say it like this, but we can think to ourselves, Jesus, heal me because you owe me. Um, Maybe as we suffer with, with sickness or loss or anxiety, sometimes we can look around and, and see people who don't love Jesus at all or certainly don't love Jesus as much as you and, and they seem happy. Their life seems fine without a care in the world. Doesn't seem fair. But what about me, right? 
God, look at all the things I've done for you. Look at how generous I've been with my money. Look at how I've served you all these years. Look at the programs we've run, the people that we've helped. Jesus, we've given everything for you. Why won't you help? But even though the Jews appeal to Jesus like this, look at what the centurion does. He does the exact opposite in verse 6. When Jesus was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. The centurion does something remarkable. He doesn't insist on Jesus coming to him, but he sends people to meet Jesus on the way. And where the, um, I'm sorry, where the Jews say that this centurion is worthy of healing, he does the opposite. He says he's unworthy of Jesus to even come under his roof. It's remarkable that in the presence of someone with such high standing would deem himself unworthy to be in the presence of Jesus. He gets grace, doesn't he? He recognises that God owes him nothing. He's unworthy. So for Jesus to do anything for him is a sheer act of grace. And look at what the centurion believes about Jesus' ability to heal. After saying he's not worthy to meet Jesus, he says this in verse 7. He says, I don't presume to come to you. Just say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. I say to one, go, he goes. Another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying, Jesus, don't even bother coming. Just say the word, my servant will be healed. He compares something of his authority to Jesus. Uh, the centurion, as a commander of the army, orders people around. He can say, come over here, go over there, and they do it. And though this centurion has authority within a certain realm, Jesus' authority is an entirely different category. Jesus has authority over sickness and death itself. He has authority over all creation. So the centurion says, don't even bother coming. Just say the word and he will be healed. When Jesus heals, he doesn't need to say abracadabra doesn't need rituals. His authority is unlimited. Just say the word and it's done. It reminds you of Genesis 1 where God creates with just a word. He says, let there be light and there is. And here, Jesus recreates, he restores life with just a word. Of course he can do it. And it's at this point where we realize why the centurion keeps sending people to Jesus instead of going himself. He sends people not because he's lazy, not because he thinks he's too good or too important, but because of two things. He trusts in Jesus' ability to heal with just a word. Remember, he's never seen Jesus with his own eyes, never met him, but he trusts in his authority. And... He sees himself as unworthy, as undeserving to be in Jesus' presence. That's what faith is. Faith sees Jesus for who he is, but faith also sees you for who you are. 
as one unworthy before him so that grace can abound. And now in verse 9, Jesus marvels. He's amazed at this centurion's faith that he hasn't even seen amongst his own people, right? Where, where his own people reject him. These Gentiles, these people who aren't his, they have great faith. And that's why Jesus says all the way back in chapter 2, he is a light for revelation to the Gentiles. If you want to know what amazes Jesus, it's faith. Faith that has nothing to offer. Faith doesn't care about status or merit or what I deserve. Faith comes empty-handed, fully trusting in Jesus' ability to heal. Remember, this centurion's never met Jesus. He's never physically met him, but he's heard about him. He's heard what he can do, and he trusts in that. Kind of a similar position to us here. So as we pray for healing, this is what we hold on to. We hold on to Jesus' ability to heal, his power, and our unworthiness. Jesus doesn't owe us when we pray. We don't need to insist on healing because true faith comes empty-handed, solely reliant on God's grace. All right, so, so far we've seen the nature of faith that believes in Jesus' ability to heal and our unworthiness before Him. But next we're going to ask the question about His desire to heal. Does He really want to? Because as Jesus travels south to Nain, we're introduced to another tragedy. A funeral's taking place. Um, a widow has lost her only son. The Old Testament portrays widows and orphans as amongst the most vulnerable in society. If a widow were to lose her only son, it would have left her economically and physically vulnerable. But more than this, the loss of an only child would be unbearable. They say no parent should ever have to bury their own child. I want you to imagine that as this funeral takes place, uh, the widow is reminded of the first time the midwife placed her child in her arms. Uh, she, she recalls and recounts his first steps, his first words. But now she's held him again, not for the first time, but for the last time. And instead of hearing his first words, She's now heard his last words. And now Jesus passes by this funeral. And as he sees this widow, verse 13 says he had compassion on her. Uh, the, the, the theologian B.B. Warfield, he observed that the, the, the emotion most frequently attributed to Jesus is compassion. Um, Warfield said this word compassion at the time wasn't really a word. It wasn't commonly used in, in Greek literature. It only became common in the Gospels. So you see, Jesus is unique because of his compassion, because of his desire to heal. 
in many encounters with Jesus in the Bible, people approach him. Um, Like the centurion, he approaches Jesus. He asks for healing. But as Jesus sees this funeral, the compassion in his heart draws him towards this widow. He goes to her. In this encounter, we see what flows most naturally from Jesus' heart. Compassion. And so in verse 13, Jesus approaches the widow. He assures her, do not weep. Um, You'll remember before the centurion said to Jesus, just say a word, my servant will be healed. And now again, Jesus says with just one word here, says arise. With just one word, this dead man sits up and begins to speak. Imagine the widow's disbelief here, which quickly turns to delight as her son is restored back to her. The crowd can't believe their eyes. Can he heal? Yes. Does he want to? Yes. Um, In 1 Kings 17, there's a similar encounter to this. Um, You might recall that the prophet Elijah raises a widow's son. And as the son is raised from the dead, the widow says um, to Elijah, she says, Now I know you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. And so as Jesus raises the dead here, the people in verse 16 declare him a prophet like Elijah. They liken him to one of the greatest prophets in Israel's history. But you see, to call Jesus a prophet is to sell him short. Because unlike Elijah who prays to God for healing... What Jesus does here is he heals of his own authority. He says directly to the man, arise. And he does. But what about me? You might ask. It's nice to read about these things. Sure, it's nice to read about Jesus' ability and desire. But why hasn't this been my experience? Perhaps these encounters don't fill you with much comfort, but maybe they make you more and more frustrated when you don't receive the healing you prayed for. So how are these two encounters relevant for me? Well, I think Jesus is doing something more than just healing a few people so that they can live happily ever after. Think about it. Even if this centurion's servant is healed, one day he will fall sick or he will grow old and he will die again. Or even if this widow's son is raised and restored to his mum, one day he will be separated again from her, whether by his death or her death. These are wonderful miracles. But if this is all Jesus has to offer, then he's just giving us a few more years to live. No, in these two encounters, Jesus is doing so much more than just giving them a few years of happiness only to die again later. In these healings, he's signaling something far greater. You see, these healings are signs of the kingdom of God breaking into our world. They are just a glimpse. 
They are just a preview of what His kingdom is like, where the sick are forever healed, where the dead will rise to indestructible life. In the coming of Jesus, a new age has dawned, just dawned. The Old Testament longed for the day when a Messiah would come to usher in a new age. A day that Isaiah saw to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives, to set the prisoner free. Now, these miracles, they're not just healings in themselves. They are signs that point to his identity as the Messiah, God himself, and point us to a future where his kingdom will come perfectly to heal our world. Because more than needing healing in this life, what we all really need is eternal healing. If we're healed in this life only to die again later, it's only a temporary joy. No, Jesus came for more than this. He's come to give us eternal joy. You see, the the resurrection of this man at the voice of Jesus, it points us forward to the last day, when Jesus comes again, where the dead will be raised at the voice of Jesus once more. 1 Thessalonians 4 says, Lord Jesus will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, the sound of a trumpet like God, and simply by his voice, all the dead in Christ will rise. You see, these these healings and miracles are so relevant for us because they give us a glimpse into what Jesus will do for all of us when he comes again. Can he do it? Yes, Jesus promised he would. What he said he will do. Does he want to? Yes, his heart is filled with compassion for our physical, spiritual, emotional ailments. He's promised one day he will heal us again, once for all. And we can be sure of this because Jesus himself died. Jesus himself experienced death. But not just that, he rose again. So then not only do we die with Jesus, we will rise with him too. His resurrection from the dead signals our resurrection, what that will be like as well. You may think that all your prayers for healing all over the years have gone unanswered, unheard, but they haven't. Hear this, all your prayers for healing are heard and answered with a decisive yes. Not always in this life, but always in the life to come. Jesus promised it, and what he has said is done. As we reflect on our passage this morning, um, I want to say a few things about healing in general. First, pray for healing. We've seen Jesus' power and his desire to heal. So we don't need to set the bar low and set expectations low. No, we can pray boldly for God to heal. Don't give up. Like the centurion, we believe he can, so we ask. James 5 encourages us, pray for the sick. Philippians 4 says, bring everything to God in prayer. Pray that healing would be a witness to the world about who Jesus is and his grace. 
You see, our continual prayers for healing as we don't give up, it's an exercise of faith that glorifies God as we trust in His ability to heal, but also as we come humbly unworthy before Him. So pray. Secondly, entrust the outcome to God. There are many examples, actually, of where we have prayed to God for healing and it's happened. And we should praise God for that. I think sometimes we don't think God ever heals because we often forget that He's doing it all the time. Um, I want you to remember, remember as a church that we were praying for one of our uh, members, um, Ben Chung, um, to pull through golden staph infection that he had? Do you remember that? We, as a church, we prayed over the last year. You'll, if you've been here, you'll have prayed for him in our services. And sure, even though there's been plenty of ups and downs along the way, God has been gracious to hear our prayers and preserve his life. You may remember we've been praying as well for one of our members, Will Mackay, for the inflammation in his bowel. The surgeons were preparing to remove his bowel when he had a dramatic turnaround. His condition improved. God answered our prayers. God answered our prayers. He's back at work. He's doing really well. God is constantly asking, uh, answering our prayers, whether miraculously without treatment, whether with medicine or medical treatment. I think sometimes we don't attribute it to him, even though he's doing it all the time. He created, he controls everything. But also, we entrust the outcome to God, knowing that sometimes he won't always answer our prayers in the way we want or on our timing. No, sometimes you'll continue to pray and maybe your condition never improves. Maybe things never get better. And in these moments, like the centurion, we can acknowledge that we deserve nothing. That every breath God gives us now is a gift. And we can entrust the outcome to Him, knowing that God always is doing what's best. So pray for healing, entrust the outcome to God, and finally, hope for a better healing. It's right for us to want Jesus to heal now. It's good for us to keep praying and longing to be healed in this life. But ultimately, that's not where our hope lies. Our hope doesn't lie in the temporary. Our hope, doesn't, our hope is not just to be healed now, only to die again later. No, for us here, our hope is in the eternal, where all sickness, where all illness will be permanently healed, where Jesus with his powerful voice will raise us from the dead to receive new perfect bodies that will never fade. Remember, Jesus always answers our prayers for healing with a yes, not always in this life, but always in the life to come. Always. So for those of you right now who might struggle with physical or mental illnesses, you may do so for the rest of your life. Even though your condition might feel unending, one day it'll end. What feels now like forever will just be a momentary affliction in the weight of eternity. 
And for those of you who may have lost loved ones, whether someone dies old, whether someone is taken from you too soon, hope is very much alive. Death is no longer the end. No, death only ushers in a new beginning where there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order will pass away. Can Jesus heal? Yes. Does he want to? Yes. Will he do it? Absolutely. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we long for healing. We long for physical, emotional and spiritual healing. Lord, every day we feel the brokenness of our world and our bodies. Like the centurion, we trust in your ability. Not just your ability, your desire to heal. Please heal us now according to your grace. And we thank you for Jesus, who will finally heal us and raise us with his powerful word. Lord, we, we, we follow a powerful and compassionate Messiah. Make us like him. Help us to love him and worship him as he deserves. For we pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.